Wow, 2020 has been a discouraging year, hasn't it? Has anybody been kind of just going through? It's been so tiring, so numbing, all the protests and the political stuff and all the all the virus talk and all the economy. And um, I have to admit, I told my small group Friday night, I've had a hard time getting into the Thanksgiving spirit. Um, in fact, it didn't help any, at least in my neighborhood, that as soon as, thank, as soon as Halloween was over, Christmas trees were everywhere, right? I mean, did we, did we just skip Thanksgiving altogether, it seems like. Um, so Thanksgiving, the month of November, is one of my favorite months because it's really the month that we get to pause and thank God for everything he's done. And we, need to give, we get to give back to him. So I asked my small group to be praying for me as I uh, brought this message because there's so many stories and I don't want to uh, I don't want to kind of just kind of ho hum all the way through it or all the way into it. So yesterday I spent I spent probably five hours yesterday listening to four or five Stones of Remembrance services over the last several years. And I told Nancy I said, man, nothing fires me up like hearing the stories. It, it, I lived the stories. I told the stories. I'm listening to myself tell the stories that I lived. And it's still, it just galvanizes our faith and builds my faith to, to just listen to these stories again. And uh, we had a great time in the first service. I will, let, I will warn you um, that we usually go to 10 to 15 minutes over on Stones Remember service. Um, we're going to do that again. So if, if you've got a roast in the crock pot, you can turn it on with your phone down a little bit. We'll get out of here about 12.15, I promise. I'm going to get you to the same spot, um, and I'm going to tell some new stories I've never told. I'm going to disappoint you by, telling, by not telling some favorites um, that people are like, no, you got to tell that. So I'll pray about it this week. Um, but I didn't tell them in the first service. Before we get started, though, because we always run out of time, I want to tell you about some, some current coincidences, okay? And that's why I want the young people, if you're listening under the pavilion, to to pay attention because you got to decide when you see things happen, is this, is this a coincidence or is this God doing some things? So let me just tell you what God has. I've never told you these details before. In fact, some of the sound guys are like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You're like letting them in on trade secrets. It's like, I'm sorry, but it's a God thing. So um, two years ago for our Chest of Joash project, um, we decided we were going to build a video ministry. So I had... I had three or four families in at least three different small groups, and they're in my small groups, and they were out of town a lot. One of the guys, Jay, was working uh, for a year or two uh, up in uh, Tennessee and North Carolina. He says to me, he says, I really wish I could watch my, my own church online. You know, I got all these big mega churches, and I thought, well, mega churches have mega bucks. That's why they're online. And, um, and then I had another, fam- another family that was out in and out west, and then two families that were up north, they kind of got a, a summer home up there, and, and one took their, their RV up north. And, and um, so I went to the, I, I said to Rich, I said to Pastor Rich, I said, how much do you think it would cost for us to be, have some acceptable level of, uh, of, of live streaming online? Because a couple of local churches started doing that, and, you know, they're not like mega churches with mega budgets, they're just like us. And uh, Rich said that he did some research and figured out it probably cost us about $10,000 to be able to uh, 
to, to set up a video ministry so that we could do this. And I thought, well, that's not, that's not unreasonable. I thought it would be 100000 so 10000 is way less. So I go to these other families, and I say, hey, would you give to Chest of Joash this year so specifically we could get this, this video ministry started? Um, and it's a good thing we started two years ago because for the next year, a whole year, Rich and Pastor Rich and his team spent the next year getting all the bugs out of the system. I wrote down all of the issues. I have no idea what most of these mean, but I'm going to read them to you as if I do. Um, They had hardware issues. They had cabling issues. I don't know what those are. Cabling, hardware. They had bandwidth issues. I was like, I didn't think our band was that wide. You know, I thought they were skinny enough, but apparently it's a whole different kind of bandwidth. They had router issues. I grew up in a wood shop, so a router was something you do on a wood. It has nothing to do with wood. They had server issues. I talked about servers and waiters last week. I don't know what the issue was. They had provider issues. They had they had so many, so many weeks where it it died. Facebook kicked it out. It, it, YouTube crashed. It was all of these things. It took about a year for us to get to the place where we had an acceptable level of continuous streaming, even though it had some sound issues even then. Um, and we worked through all that. But by the end of the year, end of the 12 months, we, were, we had a, an acceptable level of streaming out on the World Wide Web. Who knew that that would have such a huge impact in so many people? Then in May of 2019, um, so six months after that chest of Joash, we made a big investment in digital sound. Now, I've, I, I got to tell you the backstory because when you see what God did, all the little things that God did to get us to this place, and then why it made such a big impact in 2020. I was at Entertainment Arts. Entertainment Arts are the people that did all of our sound for us. Um, we had bought a lot of our video stuff from them. They helped us uh, get that going. So I was down there picking something up, and I noticed leaning against the wall is a gigantic soundboard, an Allen Heath soundboard, 48 channel, just like ours, maybe a 60 channel. But our soundboard was like seven feet long and this wide, and it cost us like $9,000 back in 2006. And I said to him, I said, oh, that looks like our soundboard. He says, yeah, it's going to Haiti. I'm like, it's going to Haiti. I said, um, man, who's sending that to Haiti? He says, oh, this church, they upgraded their, they went digital, so they're shipping their soundboard to Haiti. And I'm like, wow, what is it worth, you know? Kind of thing. He says, oh, it's only worth about $500 now. And I said, that's what we have. He says, yeah, that's like seven generations old, Jerry. And um, he said, they replaced that big monstrosity of a soundboard with this little digital console. And look what it does. It does, you press all these buttons, it's so impressive. And I said, uh, so what is that? How much does that cost? And he turns to the partner, his partner, he says, how much is this? Is it like 26, 27? He says, yeah, I think it's 27. So I'm thinking, $27,000? He's like, no, 2700 Now I'm going, wait a minute. We could afford that. I mean, we're not, that's not a mega budget kind of a sound, sound system. So we raised the money. It cost all toll five months later. We signed on in May of, of 2019 to totally do digital sound in the booth all the way up front, new snakes, new all, – all of this is digital. And we had them um, add digital ears and get rid of all of our monitors it was $19,000. So like I said, 
significant investment. $10,000 we spent on video, the $19,000 we spent on digital sound. And then the interesting thing was right after this year was, oh, this last year was over in January of 2020. By the way, can anybody remember January of 2020? It was like the only good time, the only good month. Wasn't it right? I mean, you know, January 2020 was a great month, right? We were in the middle of 40 days of purpose. And then February was okay if you weren't watching the news like we weren't. We were down at Disney when everything hit. And um, it was bliss. Ignorance was bliss. In January, my son Josh and Van, uh, Joanne's husband, who's our drummer, they come up to me and they say, hey, look, we got this idea. We would like to invest a little bit, not anywhere near as much, into a click track system, which allows us to – this is all technical. I don't really know what I'm talking about. I'm just going to just play along. Um, so they have this voice in their ear who says, chorus, two, three, four, and click, click, click. So it keeps the beat, and you purchase your own music. And Josh says, we, Dad, we purchase our music. We can edit it, and then it saves it to the cloud. So we've always got it. It's always exactly how we use it. But it's going to be an initial investment of about $3,000 uh, for this year. And I'm like, man, I wish you would have told me that back in October, November when we were in our budgeting process. It's, but we had a little bit of chest of joy money left over. So I said, yep, go ahead and do it. And he says, oh, and by the way, and this was kind of like a, a throw-in. This was like a, uh, just an extra little feature that whatever. I didn't think we would ever use it. He said, oh, by the way, one of the cool things with it is if a, if a bass player or a keyboard player, an instrumentalist, can't make it to rehearsal on Thursday night, you know, used to be we'd have to scramble for another. We'd have to get a, an alternate drummer, an alternate bass player, an alternate, you know, or else they'd have to do it without. It's really hard to do the music without a key piece of instrumentation. He says, the cool thing is if someone can't make it, you just press a button, boom, an invisible key player, keyboard player shows up. It just plays the keys. Or boom, an invisible bass player shows up, and it just plays. And it's so cool. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. Um, well, here's what happens. COVID hits. All of a sudden, every church in America wants to stream live online. There's not enough equipment. There's not enough software. There's not enough know-how. And everybody has about seven days to get it done. In fact, we were the guru for several churches were coming to us and saying, how do we do this? Show us how. What is the problem? We even offered to let pastors tape their sermon here in our studio. We turned this all into a studio. It wasn't even church for eight weeks. And, um, and we, we, we offered to let them tape it here so they could take it on a thumb drive and, and show it online when they could figure that out. So we were already streaming smoothly. We didn't have to go through that whole, all that learning curve. And then on top of that, when they allowed us to start coming back at all, it was like 10 people. You remember the 10-person maximum? So we couldn't put our whole band. Our band's like 10 people. We couldn't put our whole band up here, plus have me, plus have the, the sound people. So we had to, we had to, it was just like three key instruments, three key singers, and that was it. But we just pressed a button, and keyboards started. We just pressed a button, and it was... That feature, now I know you were watching from home and it just sounded regular to you, but for us, that was a miraculous button push. That was a miraculous keyboard, invisible keyboard player. And where that played in for us later was once once we were able to have people back, we had 
some of our band members, their job wouldn't allow them to come and be around people because they had, you know, you know, a skeleton crew, and you had to, like, sign off that you hadn't been around anybody. And then we had people who had autoimmune issues who couldn't come because they had a, a compromised person living with, within their family. So the ability to stream, the ability to have the digital, the click track, and have the virtual instrument, that made life so, I mean, it made church doable for those first eight weeks that we weren't here and then the next eight weeks when we were able to meet. Now, let me ask you this. You'll have to decide this yourself. You can choose. I mean, what it really did, it made us look like geniuses. Now, I hate to burst your bubble, but I'm not a genius. I don't know if you realize that. In fact, it was God intervening on our behalf way ahead of time that allowed us to make those those decisions, those adjustments, and those sacrifices that's what got us ready for 2020. We had no idea. Nobody, you didn't have any idea. God's the only one who knew that we needed to, to be ready for 2020 to hit. Now, you can choose to believe. Young people, you can choose to believe those are coincidences. I choose to believe that those were God divinely intervening on behalf of SEC. And i got to tell you, God's been divinely intervening on behalf of SEC for almost 30 years now. This is why this is one of the two most exciting weeks of the year for me. It's incredible for all of us who've been regular attenders here for a long time because it galvanizes and it strengthens our faith again every year. When we go back and we remember all the times God intervened, all the times that some of these are just flat out, you can't explain it any other way than, a, than, it's, than it's a miracle. And as I said, I was listening to these stories yesterday all day long, and I told Nancy, nothing fires me up for Stones of Remembrance like listening to the other, to the Stones of Remembrance services from years past. And the way I like to explain this is if during the year, some of you are new to SEC. In fact, let me just kind of take a poll. How many of you have been to a Stones of Remembrance service before? Raise your hand loud and proud. Yes. And these people all came back to hear these stories again. Um, how many of you, this is your first time coming to Stones Remember? Raise your hand. Awesome. So glad you guys are here. In fact, I tell people, because this is the time where you kind of feel like you're part of the family. You kind of know the stories. You kind of feel like I'm on the inside now. I tell people, we've gone to coffee or we've gone to dinner, and you finally, after a little while, you finally say, well, tell me a story about SEC and how did, how did the church get started? I, I would say this to you. I've said it to so many people. You need to come to Stones Remember. So it's two weeks before thanksgiving that's when i tell the whole story and i don't even tell the whole story i can only tell about half of it now we'll still go over but i'll only get half of our stories in and i'll finish up next year i'll tell the ones that i missed this year this isn't anything new um families have been doing this for centuries they've been telling the story of their heritage for centuries Families have gathered and tribes and nations have gathered on feast days, on holidays, and they've told the story about how did we get here. And by the way, young people, this is why I want you to hear these stories. You guys are moving from the kid table to the adult table today. I'll tell you about that in a second. Um, they, you know, when I grew up in the 70s, anybody grew up in the 70s and watched Little House on the Prairie? Raise your hand if you ever watched Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, great story. Little House on the Prairie series with Michael Landon. Um, and Walnut Grove is based on Laura Ingle Wilder, Laura Ingalls Wilder's book series, where she penned and wrote down 
and captured for her family and then really for all of us all the stories of Walnut Grove and the big journey and the and the great blizzard and crossing the river, all of those things. And in the show, they would they would have a, a feast day. They would have Thanksgiving, and Paul would, you know, my, my, Charles Ingalls would play his fiddle, and they'd dance around, and then they'd tell the stories. That's how, for centuries, history was taught. It was taught by the spoken word telling how our family, how great-granddad, how our our group joined that group and how we got to where we are. And you've been doing the same thing in your family. You may not even have realized it. You remember when you were a kid and you graduated from that, you know, the kid table was that card table over in the corner where they served macaroni and cheese and peanut butter and jelly. And uh, I sat at the kid table for years. And um, at some point, you get to move from the kid table to the adult table. Usually somebody has to die, you know, grandma, grandpa, somebody. There's an extra spot. You're too big for the kid table. We move you over here. And that's when someone says, Uncle Charlie or Aunt Martha says, hey, tell the story about so-and-so. Tell the story about, remember the story, remember the summer up. And they tell those stories again. And you're the one hearing it for the first time. And that's when you realize this is who we are. This is what God, this is what's happened in our life. Well, I want you to, I want you to understand young people, especially high schoolers, Middle schoolers even. We had some 10, 11-year-olds in the first service. I hope they'll come every year. Because if you come all through middle school and you come all through high school and you hear all these services six years in a row, you'll probably hear them all in about a six-year period. Because here's what's going to happen. Some of you already know this. You're already in college and this has already happened to you. You're going to be sitting in your English your English literature class in your freshman year. You're going to be sitting in a biology class. You're going to be sitting in a philosophy class. You shouldn't take philosophy your freshman year, I'm telling you. If you can get away with not ever taking philosophy, don't ever take it. You're going to be sitting in those classes, and here's what they're going to tell you. One of your professors that you or your parents or your, your loan is paying tens of thousands of dollars to, they're going to tell you that this is all fake news. They're going to tell you that all these stories are all fables, all fake news, they're all, all this Old Testament stuff, all this New Testament stuff, all a bunch of your parents, your grandparents, they're just so simple-minded. They needed a crutch. They, they, you know, they're well-meaning people, but they, they grip their Bible and believe all these fables. But you, you millennial generation, you need to be smart and you need to embrace science because science has proven the Bible wrong. That's all a bunch of bunk. And, and science is what, what, is what, you know, what rules. And you need to realize for yourself that, that all of that's a bunch, a bunch of lies and fake news and science is, is the way to go. That's what they're going to tell you. Some of you have already heard that. So my goal is that you can be here every single year and hear us tell these stories. Because you're not going to remember any of the sermons I, I teach. You're probably not going to remember any of the sermons I ever speak. But you'll remember slogans and you'll remember stories. And I want you to be sitting there in that class and say, hmm, I hear what this guy's saying, but I saw hundreds of people nodding their head when Pastor Jerry told about, told about, and told about, and told about, and they all saw it. So I'm not going to believe, I'm just not, I'm no genius, but I'm not that dumb. I'm not going to believe the professor who tells me this isn't all true when I've seen all of these things with my own eyes. And I invite you, young person, don't believe in Jesus. Don't believe in Christianity because your mom or your grandparents do. You dig into this faith yourself and you decide, did Jesus really resurrect? Did God raise him from the dead or not? 
Is is God's word real or not? Did all of these things happen or were they all, all 500 of them coincidences? And you'll have to make that decision for yourself. But I hope that these stories, as I tell them every year, they never change. And you'll believe that they're true. Some of you have seen them happen. My daughter has. Ask Kristen. She's lived through almost all of these. So has Josh. So I start by asking you the question, do you believe in miracles? Because I do. This is the time of year where the atheists come out of the woodwork. It's the holiday season, so the atheists will start renting billboards. They'll start pumping out the memes that say, you know, this season choose reason. And they, count, they, they call the, the nativity scene a myth. I don't have anything against atheists. I get it. If you lived their life, you might not believe too. But I can tell you this, if you, have, if, you've, if you were an atheist and you've been here the last 27 years, you know what you wouldn't be anymore? An atheist. We've had plenty of atheists come in through our church and go, man, these, this is real. These people, God's really changing their lives. And these are things that are unexplainable any other way. Now, most of the big miracles I'll, I'll get to next week. Um, today, I want to share my testimony. Uh, let me start by sharing with you our biblical basis uh, for Stones of Remembrance. It's Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. If you go to the sixth, verse, sixth book of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Joshua, chapters 3, 4, and 5, those are the, the three chapters we cover in this little mini-series. I encourage you to read it on your own because I'm not going to have a chance to read very much of it to you. In lieu of time. So um, Joshua 3 once says, Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. I want you to understand the scene. They've been in the wilderness now for 40 years. They've been wandering around. Their parents and their grandparents have been telling them for years and years and years, decades, we're going to go in the promised land. God's going to bring us to the promised land. They've heard about the promised land so much you can just see the collective group of high schoolers and middle schoolers are all rolling their eyes. Here we go again. Promised land. We're never going to see the promised land. Finally, they're there. It's really happening. They're on the edge of the promised land, about to go in, and God speaks to Joshua. Now, the, the Jordan River is at, the flood, it's at its flood stage, so it's going to take a miracle to get them across this river. It's like a mile wide, but luckily God's in the miracle business. I'm going to read you Chapter 3, verse 7, 8, 13, and 17. It's very repetitive if you read the whole chapter. It's like God says, here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's what I'm telling you. Here's what I just told you. So God tells them three times within this. So I can leave a lot of it out. Just read you a couple verses. The Lord told Joshua, today I will make you great in the eyes of all the Israelites. Now they will know that I am with you, just as I was with Moses. Give these instructions to the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop. The priests will be carrying the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. And when their feet touch the water, and the flow of the water will be cut off upstream, and the river will pile up there in one heap. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed them by. Passed by them. They waited there until everyone had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. So God, super, as soon as the priests step into the river, God supernaturally, 17 miles upstream in a town called Adam, he, 
he puts a force field or he puts an angel or he blows, he puts his hand, we don't know how, but God stopped the river flowing and then the water receded and then they went through on dry ground. Very similar to how they got into the desert in the first place. For those of you who are old as me and you can remember back to Charlton Heston and the Ten Commandments or maybe you're my kid's age and you remember Steven Spielberg's The Prince of Egypt animated adaptation of this passage, of this story. Moses leads the children of Israel out of, the Hebrews, out of Egyptian captivity. Don't have time to tell you about the ten plagues. Don't have time to tell you about the angel of the shadow of death. Don't have time to tell you about the Passover. But at the end of the ten plagues, the Egyptians want these Hebrews out. Like we've had enough of you and your God. Leave. Here's all this gold. Here's all of our silver. Just leave. And they did. They didn't get too far down the road till the Egyptians changed their mind. And they said, you know what? This isn't right. We want our money back. We want our gold, our silver back. We want our slaves back. So they start pursuing. Pharaoh and his army start pursuing them. And you know the story. Pastor Rich read it just as we started COVID. We were talking about the Fearless series. We were talking about Moses. And um, Moses stands before the Red Sea. He lifts up his, his staff. And God divides the Red Sea so that they're able to walk through on dry ground. This is one of the stories your English teacher will tell you. It wasn't the Red Sea. It was the Reed Sea. It wasn't, you know, they they got stuck in the mud. They didn't drown, blah, blah, blah. They haven't read their Bible. Just as God said it happened, the Egyptian army was wiped out. And And the Hebrews, the children of Israel, one million plus their families plus their livestock walked through on dry ground. Now we're 40 years later. And they're about to go back in to the promised land. That first group, they sent, they sent 12 spies into the promised land within a couple of months. Only two people came back and said, we can take the land. One was Joshua. The other was Caleb. Joshua and Caleb are the only two people alive at this time. And God speaks to Joshua. And he says, you're going to go through on dry ground. And everybody's going to know I'm with you just like I was with Moses. That's what's happening as we're talking. And he says, you're going to take 12 stones. We'll get to that. You're going to take 12 stones. You're going to make a marker so that everybody will remember this forever. Hey, we're still talking about it 3,500 years later. So the story of Joshua starts with God speaking to one individual, Joshua. The story of Seminole Community Church also starts with God speaking to one person. God spoke to me. How do you know when it's God speaking to you? That's, that's the dilemma that we all face. The first time I can remember God speaking to me very clearly was when I was 14 years old. I've asked some of the middle schoolers to come in. That was between 8th grade and ninth grade. And between 8th grade and ninth grade... Um, I was a typical youth in a typical youth group at Central Baptist over. In fact, I started, I didn't grow up in church. I started going to church when I was in fifth grade. I don't know how you are in fifth grade. I think you're like 11 years old, 10 or 11 years old. Uh, and, and the reason I started going to church is because somebody invited me. Somebody invited me to Wednesday night youth group because they played football. I had a friend named Bobby. He says, hey, you want to come to my church group? We play football every Wednesday night. I'm like, football? 
And I said, um, so, yeah, they pray. They say a verse. I said, so, like, one verse? He says, ah, two, three verses. I said, and they pray a long prayer? No, short prayer, two, three verses. We play football for an hour. I'm like, I'm in. So I went to church the first time to start playing football. We played. You know, they prayed. They, they prayed, read a verse. We played football. It was, it was all fun. Um, in fact, he said, in fact, we're going to be going to Disney World for $10. So I started going I started going to church because of football and Disney, and I never got to go to Disney World, by the way. Um, that's okay. I, I stayed in church. What they did next was they said, hey, you smell that? I said, yeah, what's that? What's that smell? He says, that's Salisbury steak. He says, if, if you want to stay for the church Wednesday night dinner, all you got to do is join the choir. You come play football. You eat Salisbury steak. You get to go sing in the choir. I said, I'll sing in the choir for Salisbury steak. So I literally started going to church. Seriously, I started going to church, not for any spiritual reason. I started for football and food. And our, our strategy, if you hang around here long enough, you start to realize, man, this strategy hasn't really changed much, has it, Jerry? It hasn't. There's a lot of football and food around this place. So here I am, 14 years old, whatever that is, four years later, um, three or four years later, and and it's the summer between middle school and, and high school, and we were having a youth revival. Does anybody ever been to a revival? Raise your hand if you've been to a revival. No, hardly anybody. Does anybody even know what a revival is? Hardly anyone knows what a revival is anymore. So, so teenagers, let me let you know what a revival is. Okay, here's the deal. Back when I was a kid, when I was your age, we only had three TV channels, three channels on TV. That's it. Two, six, and nine in this area. NBC, CBS, and ABC. That's all you had. you had. You had a public, you had Sesame Street Channel. That's all you had. And in the summer, all the TV shows were reruns. That means we would already saw that. We saw that in the fall or we saw that in the spring. There was nothing you could watch on TV. There was no, there was no Netflix. There was no streaming. There was no cable. Okay, there was no Internet. Okay, so, I mean, I, I know, I'm a dinosaur, I'm old. So there was nothing to do, there was nothing to watch. So churches would have revivals in the summers because, hey, they're so bored, let's bring them to church. And we had a youth revival. Now the diff- So here's what a revival is. A revival was every night of the week you went to church. Like six or seven or eight nights in a row, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday again. And it was like binge-watching church, okay, literally. It was like, it was like you could, every night. The difference between a youth revival and a regular revival, a youth revival, you had a college kid preach, like Nick would be up here speaking, or Josh would be up here speaking, and, um, and you, you had pizza most nights, and you wore jeans. So that was, that, that was a youth revival. An adult revival, you had a real pastor preaching. You didn't have any pizza. It was more like crumpets and tea, and then you had to dress up for that. So we had a youth revival going on, and... My youth pastor was used to pick me up on the way, just like Nick goes and picks some of you guys up and drives you to church. Um, my youth pastor, his I grew up in the, this was the South back then. His name was Skeeter. So Skeeter would come pick me up in his little blue, and I felt like God was speaking to me. At 14 years old, what do I know? I'm 14. And um, I, you know, I just finished eighth grade. So I said to my youth pastor, Skeeter, I said, um, Skeeter, how do I, I feel like God might be calling me into ministry or want, my, speaking to me. How do I know if God's calling me? How, and you know what he says? He says, you'll just know. I said, but how will I? You'll just know. And I thought to myself, man, youth pastors don't know much, do they? And then uh, 
So, so that Monday night, they gave an altar call. Now, my, my youth group, we used to sit in the back, just like all of our teenagers are right now, all the way in the back row. We used to sit all the way in the back row. And here's why we sat back there. We sat back there so we could act like we were listening, just like y'all are acting like you're listening. And then, but we could pass notes. We, we, didn't ha- we couldn't text each other. It was terrible. You could get caught. Pa- you know, you're on your phone now texting each other, but, you're, but you could tell people, oh, I'm on my Bible app. You know, I'm on my prayer app, right? But we, so we're, we're passing notes. And you also sat back there so that you could sit really close to whoever you like. Or you kind of, you know, you get your pinky over there and touch their pinky. And that's what, I, I see that happening. I, I can I tell. So we're all the way in the back, and they did an altar call. Now, altar call, you could come all the way down front at the end. At the end of the service, they sang a bunch of songs or sang a bunch of verses of songs, and you come all the way down front. You give your life to Christ. You can pray, to, you, you can pray for forgiveness. You can um, ask you join the church you can ask your pastor to pray for you you can you can get revived so i come all the way down front that monday night i take my pastor uh, by the hand um and i and i told my pastor please pray for me i feel like god's speaking to me how do i know if it's god speaking you know what he told me you'll just know i'm like man senior pastors they don't know much more than youth pastors do they so i'm like okay i'll just know somehow um so i go back to my seat the next night something weird happened The next night was a Tuesday night. It was Tuesday, I think it was July the 8th, 1981. And I was sitting literally on the front row. really wasn't the front row because the front row is a fake row. I don't know if you all realize this. Nobody ever sits on the front row except, like, you know, if, like, Jesus comes uh, or something. You know, president shows up. I guess he'll sit there. He could could use some church. And uh, Jesus comes. Jesus will be there. But nobody else sits on the front row unless it's Christmas Eve or Easter. So... I was on the second row, which was like the front row, right right over here. And at the end of the service, I say to God, God, I need a sign. You know, if you're calling me, here, I'm not kidding, y'all. Here's exactly what happened. Now, I'm not saying you should ask God for a sign. I'm just telling you what I did. I was 14 years old. What did I know? I didn't know as much as my youth pastor or my senior pastor, apparently. Um, so I said, God, if you're calling me into full-time ministry, I need a sign. No sooner had I said those words. Where the guy who was the guest, pa- the guest speaker was a guy named Eddie McQueen. He was a Stetson student. He must have, so they sat up front, okay? So we had like big stage and these big giant chairs up here, kind of like a little bench and kind of like a little bench. So the, the pastor types would all sit up, up front. I don't know why they did it that way. They just did. And while I was, while we were singing, I bowed my head and closed my eyes and I'm praying. He must have been walking to the microphone as if God knew what I was going to ask. And I said, God, I need a sign if you're calling me to full time. And no sooner than I said it, he, he said, and I wrote this in my journal years ago. I'll read it just how he said it. He says, I believe, steps up to the microphone as soon as I said that prayer. And he says, I believe there's a young person here who needs to surrender their life to full-time ministry. And the next thing you know, I took one, two steps. I took my pastor by the hand. Um, and I said, Brother Freddie, because I grew up Baptist, so they call everybody brother. Brother Freddie. I said, um, I believe God's calling me to be a pastor. And he said, no. <laughs> now, now, he says he didn't say it that way. He said, no. <laughs> but I heard it like, no. Because I was the last guy in our youth group that you would ever expect. I was the guy who was always asking the yeah, but questions. Yeah, but what about? Yeah, but I was the one that was always chewing gum when you weren't supposed to be chewing gum. That was a big deal back then. And uh, I was the one who was always leaning back in those metal folding chairs, remember, or tipping people in their metal folding chairs. That was me. So I always say, be careful, you know, yelling at our teenagers or whatever, because they might be your pastor someday. 
Um, that was 39 years ago. I gave my life to 39 and a half years ago. And then they let me preach my first sermon. Six weeks later, they're crazy. Why in the world would you let a... We had a youth night. And I sang, I, I team taught with a friend of mine, Todd Luce. He ran for uh, county commissioner over in uh, Lake County this past year. He was a captain with the Police Department for, uh, for a couple, for 20-something years. Um, Todd taught, and then they sang a hymn, and then I was going to get up and, and teach. I taught on John 14, 6. Ten minutes, all I knew about the whole Bible from cover to cover, I could cover in ten minutes. Now I can go ten minutes over, no problem. Um, You don't have to worry about that. I won't run out of things to say. Here's the deal. As we're sitting there and I'm about to go up, I'm nervous, right? What am I doing? I'm 14 years old. What do I know? I'm about to get up and preach my first sermon to a whole bunch of adults and, and, and teenagers. And I look down and I notice that my zipper is open. I mean like wide open. This is going to be one of the most embarrassing moments of my life, I could tell. And I'm worried. I'm thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I say, well, they're going to... I look down and it says, it says they have this little order of service thing, bulletin, and uh, it says they're going to pray. I said, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll zip up during the prayer. Um, and then I thought, wait a minute. Nobody closes their eyes during prayer like they're supposed to. I know all the teenagers, they're all looking around, you know. Some of you adults, you've never outgrown that. You still look around during the prayer. And I can see myself zipping up in the middle of prayer, and then everybody starts laughing because what are we looking at, by the way, when, they're, when we're supposed to be praying, right? It's like you're like, you have that revival. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. And the teenagers are all looking around going, there ain't no hands up. There's nobody. nobody we're, we want to keep them honest. I know. So the last thing I need is people to, you know what I did? I just preached my whole first sermon with a zipper down. I just grabbed the pulpit. It was a big, wide pulpit. I just, I just let it rip. I think that God let me experience that so I would never forget that moment. And now you won't either. Sorry for the visual. <laughs> Eleven years later in that same church in July of 92, God started to speak to me about starting a church, planting a church. Planting a church means you don't start with, it's not a church split, like 500 people, 300 go here, 200 go here. A lot of churches start that way. It's not a church launch where a church of 500 sends 50 people to another area and they start a church. A church plant is when you kind of start from scratch. No money, no people, no building. As someone said one time, no brains. That's who they're looking for. And um, we have this guy who said, we're looking for some entrepreneurs who would be willing to go start a church from scratch. Now, I'd never heard of starting a church from scratch. I certainly never heard of entrepreneur. Um, when, I, when I got out of high school, I went to, to work for a sales organization, and I had worked my way up until I was like a national sales director. And then I left that job to become a vice president of a seafood company. Sounds really, really bigger than it really was. It was horrible. Um, before they went out of business, I started my own floor covering company. So I was in business for myself, uh, working my way through college, uh, selling carpet tile, those kind of things in the uh, owner-builder industry. When in 92, I hear this guy start talking about this church planting conference Nancy and I went to, and we started, we met with uh, 12 other couples who were planting churches all over Florida, and I heard people talk about what God had been doing, and we felt like maybe God's leading us to do that. Here's the problem. We have no people. We have no money. Uh, you know, we, I, we had just gotten married. I was 25 years old. Um, I, I just had, we just had our first baby. Kristen was six months old. And, um, and I'm thinking, I don't know. Is this God? So I'm, t- I'm asking my pastor, how do you know if God's calling you to, 
to, to plant a church or not? You know what they say? Oh, you'll just know. Yeah. And so um, we were over here. Nancy's dad and I built our house. We were owner builders ourselves, and we prayed paid for the slab and the and the sticks to go up we did the roof the insulation the drywall the cabinets the floors everything else from then on everything from rough plumbing on we did and by the way there was no youtube back then okay it was you know your youtube was a home depot vhs video and like you put it in here's how you here's how you stucco here's how you whatever um so i remember it like it was yesterday because i said to god again god if you want me to start a church i need a sign i need to know that this is you and not just some crazy idea um so i was doing the insulation on this house at night by myself and i was listening to a cassette tape on my walkman now teenagers you probably don't know what a cassette tape or a walkman is but you really do because in the last couple of years, Marvel has solved this for us. Okay? For years, I've told parents, you've got to go show your kids a picture of a cassette tape. They're Googling it now. Think Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay? That is a cassette tape. Uh, Sony developed a tape recorder that you could wear on your belt. It's about that big, sticking on. And you put the tape in there, and you got these headphones that you could wear, not earbuds, but headphones. And you could listen to your music on the go. Now, this was way before Steve Jobs, anybody ever heard of him? And way before iPods or iPhones or streaming, I'm listening on, like my phone is here, I'm listening on a cassette, Dr. Adrian Rogers. He's a great pastor from, uh, from Memphis, and he's teaching. And remember, I'm asking God, I need a sign. No sooner had I said that than Dr. Rogers talks about talking to some college student. And the college student, he says, wants to go to seminary, but he doesn't have any money to go to seminary. So Dr. Rogers says, so I told him, son, if I could get a millionaire to underwrite your entire seminary experience, would you go? He said, I'd go in a minute. And this is what I wrote down because this is exactly what Dr. Rogers said. He said, son, in his deep baritone voice, son, if God has called you, you've got much more than a millionaire. And I thought, that's my sign. Even with no money, no people, no place, no brains, God's calling me to start this church. I don't need anything but God. And I believe that's the moment that Seminole Community Church was birthed. I went home, told Nancy, she was all in. And God began SCC by speaking to me. Just like God started this whole invasion, our influx into the promised land by speaking to Joshua. God gave him specific instructions. I'm not going to read you these these verses from Joshua chapter 4, but basically he says take 12 men from each tribe, a leader from each tribe, 12 men from each of the tribes, and take a stone, and when you're in the river, bring the stone out and stack them up and build a memorial. And later, when your kids and your grandkids and their grandkids come and say, what is this memorial? You can tell them about the time that I led you through on dry ground into the promised land. God has, has set the precedent that we are to set memorials or, as in experience in God talks about, spiritual markers in our life. So that you can look back, like I do. I can look back to that moment where he said, 
to me sitting in that church or that moment where he said to me, hanging and so I can look back at those and know that those are defining moments in my life that whatever I got to face in the future, like, what am I doing pastoring? Oh, yeah, God told me. Oh, yeah, God said. So that when you have spiritual markers in your life and you see, well, God did this and God said that and God bailed me out of this and God got me through this, it builds our faith so that when you got to face a 2020 or you got to face coronavirus or you got to face whatever the next 10 years, we can draw strength from those draw faith from those spiritual markers so that we can make it through whatever God has set in front of us. These are the key spiritual markers, are a few of the key spiritual markers. Every Thanksgiving for two weeks, we talk about some of the miracles that God has done. And let me tell you, when, you, when you've lived through those and you remind yourself of those, you realize very clearly God has not brought us this far to leave us. These aren't coincidences that have happened. This is divine intervention on our behalf. So let me tell you how it all kind of started. I'm going to try to knock this out in less than 20 minutes and get us to the, to the chest of Joash. And then next week I'll tell you about the, the big gigantic miracles. We started our church in a funeral home. Horrible place to start. I asked at the first service, how many of you would have come to the funeral home and like half of them lied? I thought they were going to get struck by lightning, you know, um, because they said, oh, we would have come. No, you wouldn't have. No matter what you do to a funeral home, it still smells like a funeral home. We took balloons in. We took happy music in. We took plants in. We got rid of all the creepy lights. We told people, we met there for one year. We went, we had 11 people at our first service. The highest we ever had was 62. The fourth weekend, we had 16. Ten of them were family members. Two of them were missionaries from out of state. That was like four people. We almost died. I mean, our church many times was flatlining it. God did the paddles on us to bring us back to life. Many times in the early, in the early years. We used to tell people, you want to come to church with us? Where did where's that? We meet in the chapel on Reinhardt Road, and people would go. Reinhardt Road ended at 46A. There was no Reinhardt Extension. There was no mall. There was no Seminole Town Center. There was a Stuckey's out here. That's all there was. And um, we we would say we meet in the chapel. And they said chapel, chapel, and then they go funeral home. You're inviting me to a funeral. Jay, I'm not coming to a funeral home. Horrible place to start a church. Why did we start there? It was the only place we could find. It was free, free rent. Sometimes you get what you pay for. It was free rent. And we went to a lot of clubhouses and other places. Nobody would let us in, even though we were willing to pay to get in. So we started out, like I said, with 11, 12, counting me, that first service. It grew to about 50 at the end of the, at the, end of the time. My pastor buddies loved us being in the funeral home. They're the only ones who enjoyed it. They're like, oh, Jerry, we hear everybody's dying to get into your church. <laughs> you know, oh, Jerry, you know, people are dying to get out of your church. You know, man, you back up the hearse. You say, hey, you want, are you ready to go to heaven? Beep, 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 you know. Ha, <laughs> ha, yeah. So um, I'm going to disappoint everybody. We did get kicked out of the funeral home, and there's a hilarious story about a tissue and about a guy going, dead guy coming back to life i'm not going to tell that story this year maybe next week but for sure next year and i know my daughter's like no you got to tell that one um but in the issue of time and so many other miracles um that's that's a great story but we moved from there to gold's gym 
Gold's Gym used to meet in the Reflections Plaza. That's where the Seminole County Water Department is now. If you've ever been in there to change your address or to pay your water bill, that was our church. And we met there for only 16 weeks, but our new we met in an aerobic studio, so we traded one smell for another. We went from the smell of a funeral home to the smell of sweaty smell of an aerobic studio. But it had mirrors on all the walls, and, and then because it had mirrors, it looked like our crowd was huge. It looked like there were so many people. But you did have to, like, brush your teeth and comb your hair to come to church because everybody was looking at you. You know, you're, you're in, like, 14 mirrors, um, so to speak. Um, and we almost didn't, we almost flatlined there before we ever got started. Um, we moved into the Gold's Gym Palm Sunday of 94, we had our practice service on Palm Sunday. The next Sunday was Easter, of course. We had sent out 3,500 letters hand-addressed to Sanford Lake Mary area, inviting people to come to church. We sent them a magnet with our church uh, address and contact information. This was before the web existed. And, um, and then we invited them to come to church and promised them a free Bible. I got my friend at Winn-Dixie to donate 200 Bibles. Who knew Winn-Dixie had Bibles back then? And uh, they donated uh, 200 Bibles to us to give away. But before we could have our Easter, before we could even have our Palm Sunday service, well, we got a call in the middle of the night. I got a call in the middle of the night from the manager of the gym, and he said, 2.30 in the morning, Reverend Walsh, there's a problem. And I'm like, man, anytime you hear the words Reverend Walsh at 2.30 in the morning, that's a bad sign. He says, somebody has broken into the gym. And um, it looks like they've stolen all of your sound equipment. Really, what they had done, someone had thrown this two by four, this four by four, this very one. I've kept this for however long it's been, 20, 27 years. And they threw this four by four through a plate glass door, probably a $400 door they destroyed to get in and steal our sound equipment, all of our sound equipment. Here comes a big boom. I warned you. They stole all of our sound equipment. Now, listen, our sound equipment wasn't very nice. It was all yard sale stuff. The sum total of all of our equipment was less than $200. Probably the door they destroyed to steal the sound equipment was worth twice as much as the stuff that they stole. Um, But it was ours. It was uh, the only thing new was a set of $79 speakers um, from $79 for each speaker from Sam's. I had a JVC rack system that we soldered together and made work and all these used microphones like $5, $10 microphone. And I'm on the way there in the middle of the night, and I'm praying. And I said, God, if you want to let your stuff get stolen, that's up to you. Um, And I realized, but there's one thing, God, you can't let get stolen. We had borrowed from the entertainment arts guys. I told you about They've been with us from the very beginning. Uh, We had borrowed a – they gave us a wireless microphone to try. It was $550. Y'all, we should have never had a $550 microphone that we were borrowing. Our whole church wasn't worth $550, the whole church. And here we have this microphone. So I'm praying to God, God, you might own the sheep and cattle in Thousand Hills, but you don't own that microphone. That's what I was told. I said, don't let that get stolen. As God is my witness. Whoever came in, maybe they were angels. They come in, they steal everything. They didn't find the $550 microphone, the wireless microphone, because it was hidden on the middle of the table right out in plain sight. And it was like God blinded them. So when I get to church and I tell everybody, when everybody else gets to church, <clears throat> they were mad, y'all. I mean, they were they were so angry. We're church one year old. We don't have a lot of theologians, so 
they're like praying, they're like praying and cussing in their prayers. I'm like, you can't like, you shouldn't use cuss words in your prayer. I'm thinking, you know, but this was a rough crowd. Some of y'all haven't changed much since then. And, um, and I had to get up and be the pastor and go, well, God's in control and God's going to take care of us and it'll be okay. And look, that was so discouraging. It was supposed to be the week before our, our kind of launch, public launch. And, and here we are. Um, so, so upset and discouraged. And I mean, they were mad. They were like, let's find those guys. We're going to beat the devil out of them. You ready to meet Jesus? Like, I mean, like right now. And we would have, we would have, we would have, we would have taken thus saith the Lord. Vengeance is ours. Uh, that's not how that verse goes. And, um, and I was crushed. I was like, what are we going to do? So we go home that Sunday afternoon. I called 11 friends. Some in Georgia, some in Tallahassee, some in Miami, some in um, Alabama. And I said, uh, hey, here's what happened. Can you send us $100? 11 people. Why 11 people, $100? Because earlier that week, we had, um, we had seen a sound system in a garage up in Deltona from a church who had gone out of business. Remember I told you churches go out of business left and right? Well, this church had gone out of business, had a $5,000 sound system. They only owed $1,100 on it. We could we could get it for what they owed on it, and eleven hundred dollars to us was like eleven thousand or one hundred and ten thousand. Is like yeah, that sounds great, but that'll never happen because, like I said, we we didn't have anything. So we we called all these people, and here's what happened: within seventy two hours, by ten thirty on Wednesday morning, FedEx delivered. $2,400 worth of checks because all their friends, they told their friends and they told their friends and all these people started that I never met, still have never met them. And they gave us the money to go buy that sound system and the, and the $550 microphone that I used for 15 years. And when people came that Easter Sunday with, I think we had 79 people that, that Easter, when people came that, that Easter Sunday, first thing they noticed was, hey, there's music. You know, what, what happened? What happened? And I got a chance to tell them, what God had done and had bought us this sound system, and our faith just soared. And people were like, we didn't even have to beat the devil out of them. You know, I, and they were like, I knew, I knew God was going to save us. I knew God was going to I was like, yeah, sure. You know, sure you did. We got kicked out of the gym too. Look, just so you know, we got kicked out of three out of the first four places we ever were at. We got kicked out of the, uh, the funeral home. We got kicked out of the gym. We got kicked out of the school. I'll tell you about that in a sec. We moved into we moved into this general cinema movie theater um, back when it was a movie theater. It was right behind, um, and we stayed there for like two and a half years. It was right behind Chili's. Now it's I think Lifestyle Fitness or LA Fitness, whatever it is. Uh, some of you work out there, and um, they matched the cheapest rent of anywhere that they had in Florida for us. God has just always provided a place for us. We would arrive on Sunday morning early to set up to build a stage. Uh, we got up at 5.30 in the morning, 6.30 we met there. We started building stages throughout all our trailers, sound equipment and such in there. They had tons of bathrooms. They had, I mean, we had, I don't know, we had 50 people in, in 14 bathrooms. Almost everybody had their own stall. Um, the down, the kids loved, the nursery loved meeting in the movie theater because we set up the nursery out in the lobby by the Milk Duds and the Good and Plenty. And, uh, man, the smell. You went from the smell of the funeral home one year to the smell of the aerobic studio to now the smell of popcorn and chocolate. It was like heaven. And we would have people come and visit. 
Uh, their first Sunday, the only downside, well, there was two downsides. One was the floors were really sticky. <laughs> He's like, don't turn on the lights. You don't really want to look down there. You probably, yeah. I um, don't know what, what is that I'm stepping on? I don't know. Um, and then the other thing that was bad was this, the different movie theaters we had to meet in. People would come to church, and their first Sunday, say, oh, welcome to our church. So glad you're here. Follow me. We're over here in Dumb and Dumber. Um, we're having church today in strip tees along with Demi Moore. We, you know, we had, we had church. I wrote them all down. We had church in sinful obsession. That's just wrong. We had church in scream. We had church in the devil's advocate. My favorite was when we had church, I said, join us and Woody Harrelson and natural born killers, you know, and I'm like, I can't believe this is where we have in church. We did not get kicked out of the movie theater. Um, by now, God and I had had this relationship going on where I kind of knew when he was speaking to me. Oftentimes, God would speak to me in the shower. I always knew when he spoke to me in the shower. It's like, I don't need a sign. I know it's you. And, um, and God told me in the shower one day to call up the church, the pastor of the church that was meeting over at Wilson Elementary School. This is the area we always wanted to be in. We didn't want to be way over in Lake Mary at the Reflections or over in the movie theater. This was the area that God put on our heart. It used to be called Pale or Lake Monroe. Um, I'm like, call this pastor. What am I going to say? And it's like, okay, God, I, I hear you. So I call, I call the pastor of the gathering place, and um, a guy named Sam Hinn. And um, I got a, it took me a couple of weeks to get a hold of him. Finally get a hold of him on the phone. And I said, this is going to sound really weird. Um, but I believe God wants me to call you to offer to swap facilities with you. And this is what he said. God is my witness. The first words out of his mouth are, how many bathrooms do you have? And I'm like, come again? I mean, that's weird. I call up and I go, hey, I'm a pastor or such such at the movie theater. I feel like God wants us to switch facilities with you, with your church that's meeting in Wilson Elementary School. First thing he says is, how many bathrooms do you have? And I'm like, well, uh, about 14. He says, yep, we'll switch. We can do it this week. Can you do it on Sunday? I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. What is going on? He says, we've been praying for more bathrooms. So apparently they had been in this cafetorium, which is a man-made word. It's a cafeteria with a stage. And, and it was like a room like this with two doors. The bathrooms were in the main, I mean, it was like right there and right there. And they had 350 people and only two toilets. So literally, you would get in line along that wall for worship and, hey, praise Jesus, praise Jesus, and move over one. And then move over one, and people would go in all through church. Whoosh, whoosh, and they were like, we've been praying for six months for more bathrooms. And I was like, well, where's your, where your place? But I said, but we're going to need a month to tell our people. And we swapped facilities, the only place we didn't get kicked out of. And when we moved into the, to the school, God kind of helped us grow. Um, one time we had a, a high attendance day and a whole group of people doubled us in one, in one Sunday. Um, we started our table time ministry. We met around in circles and we started our small group ministry while we were at, the, at Wilson Elementary School. We started our donut time while we were at Wilson Elementary School. So we had, uh, we had donuts in the service um, uh, some of the things that we've continued on. And one of the things we did was we did a campaign to raise money to purchase land. We, we were, 
we missed out on a piece of land because we put some money down, but it was an illegal land split. We couldn't build anything on that. Then we found another piece of land. That didn't work out because somebody stole it out from under us. They ended up flipping that to R.C. Sproles and St. Andrew's Chapel, which is now Crossings Community Church on that particular property. Um, and then, then this property came up for sale. This property was for sale for six hours. It was half price. Most of the pro- most of the properties are going thirty five thousand an acre. Listen to this. Listen to how much we paid for this property. We paid per acre one seventeen thousand seven hundred and seventy seven dollars and seventy seven cents per acre. Isn't that weird? Yeah, we paid about half price. In fact, when I found out how much it was for sale for, I was depressed because we'd already lost two, and I thought we we're going to lose this too. My father in law, Nancy's dad, said, "Make sure we're the first ones on the property." I'm like, ah, okay. So in long story short, we met with the realtor, first ones, and he said, we'll buy it. He says, uh, Nancy, my wife and I will buy it on an assignable contract. So my in-laws bought this property and assigned it over to the church once the church finally voted to purchase the land. And they said, you know what, if the church doesn't want it, we'll just flip it and sell it and we'll give all that money to the uh, to the land fund. We were We had our first chest of Joash service. Um, November of 1998, we had found this piece of property for $80,000. It was going to cost another 10000 to close on it, and we were going to close on it by December the 31st. So we did a, we did a church capital campaign. If any of you have ever been at a church where they've done a capital campaign to raise money and pledges to build a building and to buy some land, you'll know, you'll know that some people are like, there's only after your money, and they quit coming. So we went from 120 people during that time frame down to 50 people. It's like, well, we don't even need a building. We don't mean a bus, you know. Um, but the 50 people that stayed were so committed. And they weren't, we didn't have any wealthy people. They're just teachers and letter carriers and lawn cutters and retail people, just regular people, just regular job people. And those people, we had our first chest of Joash, and they gave thirty thousand dollars in cash well first of all we also had some help the baptists don't ever say anything bad about any of the baptists because the baptist foundation in florida gave us thirty five thousand dollars the a grant a gift the Seminole baptist people gave us fifteen thousand that's fifty another local church westview gave us ten thousand that's sixty thousand of the ninety thousand we need were given by just just other people as as gifts to us then we raised 30000 in cash and then a pledges for another $130,000. i will tell you that story next week. But when I talk about the chest of Joash offering, you have to understand the first, the first time we had 52 people. And at the end, we all came down front and put our offering and our pledge for the next three years in this. In this very It's the same exact chest that we've always used. And when you look down at the end, it was filled with envelopes. And cash and pledge cards and jewelry. There were gold chains in it. It looked like a Mr. T starter set. You know, there was like a gold Cougaran in there. God got a hold of this one guy in our church. He was a redneck. He gave the title to his bass boat, y'all. Look, when a redneck gives his bass boat to buy land for a church, that's not a coincidence. That's a God thing. You know, there was a big piggy bank in here. Josh put his piggy bank in there. Josh was five years old. He's always been a saver. 
you bust open that piggy bank, there's like a hundred Chuck E. Cheese tokens. Yeah, when you got five-year-olds giving up their Chuck E. Cheese tokens and rednecks giving up their bass boats and women giving up their, their jewelry, also you guys could have a church. That first time you pulled in here, we'll talk about it next week, and you felt like something different about this place. I don't even know what. First time you came in, it was like, man, this is, this is home for us. Even before I ever said a word, you didn't even know I was going to be the one speaking. Somehow God convinced you that, yep, God built this place for you. And he did it through the gifts of regular people that are just generous and saying to God, hey, God, what do you want me to give as a Thanksgiving offering this year? Well, we're out of time for, for today. I want to close this in prayer and invite you back because next week I'm going to tell you about the million-dollar miracle from the eagle. Next week I'm going to tell you about the battle between the turtles and the eagles. Next week I'm going to tell you about the the children's building and how God had the people here at the wrong place at the wrong time turned out to be the right place at the right time and how God gave us everything for the children's building. Poof. I'll tell you about the time God poofed us in a youth group. We prayed and God, wow, Steeler flag shows up and next thing you know, you got to be here next week or you got to watch online. Don't miss. Don't miss these gigantic miracle stories. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much. We give you all the honor and the glory. This church is here not because of me, not because of us. It's not about me. It's not about us. It wasn't about Joshua. It wasn't about Moses. You're a great God. And you could have done this through anybody. You chose to do it through us. And we are humbly thanking you for that. We want to give you all the honor and the glory for all the miracles that you've done, the ones that I've spoken, the ones that I won't get to, and the ones that I can't even tell of lives that have been changed, of marriages that have been put back together, of people who have been healed. Lord, thank you. Thank you for changing my life. And Father, I pray that you will allow these stories help us realize that you are real you're in the miracle business and whatever miracle we need what do you need God to do in your life you need to put back your, your marriage back together you need him to to work in your in your kids lives you need him to provide financially you need him to heal your body whatever it is God's still in the miracle business you draw close to him you ask him what do you want me to do Lord and then do it. Step out in faith. Be like those priests who stepped into the water and trust God. Heavenly Father, we love you and we look forward to the next 30 years of all the miracles. Thanks for blessing us in Jesus' name. Amen.